to welcome one and all here this morning. We haven't welcomed you yet, but the visitors here for the first... Good to have Joan here this morning. We want to welcome you. Special word of welcome. Uh, and also, Lindsay sitting there. Well, for, we know that you're leaving soon, isn't it, Lindsay? All right, we want to welcome you as well. And then anybody else here. Everybody else, if, if you're a visitor here, we want to welcome you here this morning. And uh, we want to just encourage you this morning. And uh, we want to honor the Lord. That's good to see Ishka. We want to bless you. We thank the Lord for you. And uh, also good to see uh, the two young, the two here this morning, this young lady here and the young man sitting next to her. And then, uh, then everybody else, we want to just welcome all of you here today. The Lord bless you all as we fellowship with one another. But we're going to get into the Word of God immediately this morning, and it is found in First Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's one of those challenging chapters. It's one of those chapters that you, even when you do a series, it's some of those, some of those uh, uh, things that you want to avoid as a pastor, but you, don't, you cannot because it's there, it's right there in the Word of God, and you've got to also deal with it. And that is why we're going to deal with this here this morning, and I pray this morning that God will speak to each one of us in a powerful way. He will minister to us, and, uh, and, and that we will seek to honor Him in every special way here today. But let's read from First Thessalonians then chapter four. Are we going to if you have your Bibles, you could let's read together. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him or her. The Lord will, will punish men for all such sins, sins as we have already told you and have warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So far, may God bless the reading of his precious word. Title of the message is, The Model Life. You can do better. Do you think you can do better? Living a model life. They were living exemplary lives, these Thessalonian Christians. They were young believers, but they were living exemplary lives. They were setting a pattern and a standard for others to follow. They have known blessing, the blessing of the Lord upon them, and they might have felt that they were right where they ought to be and didn't need to worry about progress, didn't need to worry about the Christian life anymore because they know so much and they've experienced so much already. So Paul says to them, I want you to excel still more. I want you to excel still more. In other words, 
in verse 1b there, do this more and more and more and more and more. Present tense. Present continuous tense. That's what Paul was doing there in Greek. It's a present continuous tense. Do this more and more and more and more. Uh, like Paul was saying, you can do better. You can do better. No matter where you are spiritually, no matter what has happened in your life, you can do better. And Paul was saying to them, I'm glad for your spiritual progress. And I'm glad for your devotion to the Lord. Your devotion to the Word. Your devotion to the Kingdom. But you can do better. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You can do better. I can remember many times coming home with my report. When I was... Uh, and, uh, you know, the thing that I could never understand when, the, when my teacher would write there. He has a lot of potential. I said, potential. I thought I did well, but Alan has a lot of potential. <laughs> so, oh. And then, of course, my dad would look at the report. My mom, too. You can do better. Oh, you know, that basically the words they used. Son, you can still do better. could never understand that. And I want to say this. Here the Lord stands before us as our teacher and as our king. He looks at us and we've done so much. We've, we've lived lives that, are, that brings honor to him. And he says to us this morning, my child, you can still do better. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the amazing thing. Eh? You're doing well. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. You just haven't arrived yet. You're doing well, but you haven't arrived yet. And, uh, and the first thing, the first point I want to make is you can live to please God more and more. You can do better. You can live to please Him more and more. I want to repeat that. Can you hear me? Are you listening? You can. You, you can live to please God more and more. Verse 1, the Christian life is often described as a walk. Walking to please God, not anybody else. And I want to encourage us, walk to please God, not man, more and more every day. Walking is a picture of moving forward and progressing step by step and day by day. We are to please God every step of the day as we walk through life. And I think of that, that walking is a picture of moving forward, progressing step by step. You know, Galatians 5 verse 25 says, keep in step with the Spirit. And uh, Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, uh, a man plans his course. In his heart, a man plans his course. But it is the Lord who determines his steps. The Lord determines his steps. We thank the Lord that he determines our steps. Eh? We are to please God every step, as I said, of the day as we walk through life. God is interested in every step we take. And Psalm 37 verse 23 to 24 speaks about that. The, the Lord delights in us and that our steps have been ordered by him. That The King James Version speaks about that. I don't think the NIV says that. But it speaks about us being firm and, uh, as we take steps and so forth. But our steps have been ordered by the Lord. He is interested in every step that we take. If nobody else is interested in your, the steps that you and I take, the Lord is interested in every step that you and I take. 
every decision that we make. I love the verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, please God. It's impossible. Some believe faith is the ability to manipulate God. You think you manipulate God? Can we manipulate God? Faith is the ability to manipulate circumstances. How many times haven't we done that? We manipulate circumstances to suit us. You know, our terms are... Is that faith? That's not faith at all. We don't manipulate God. God takes us there and we say, Lord, I don't see a way out. I don't understand how this is going to, to, to work out for me. But I know that you will get me through this. And the, you know, sometimes people come with creative ways to prove their point. But they miss the point. You know, sometimes they will explain why they do certain things. And they come and they have, cre they have creative ways of proving it to you. In fact, they use the right words as well. But it's still not the point. They still missed the point. Stepping out in faith is seeing the future in the present. You know what Hebrews 1.11 says, eh? Now, faith is the, are the things that we hope for. As faith is being, you know, it's what we hope for, but then it goes further. It's being certain of what we do not see. I love those words. Being certain of what we do not see. Stepping out in faith is seeing the future in the present. Have you looked at your situation, your circumstances? Have you seen the future in the present? Have you seen how God is going to work? Can you visualize it? Can you see in advance, hey, I don't know how, but I know that somehow I'm going to get there. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. Faith believes that God is too wise to make a mistake. The God of the universe has a perfect plan for our lives. It is often above and beyond us. We can only see what is immediately in front of us. But God is high above and sees all of life at one glance. He sees all of life. He sees both the beginning and the end of things. While we see only the present. We only see the present. He sees beyond. Whatever is happening in your life this morning. Whatever. He knows what's, what to do about it. He has the answer. He has the solution as well. I said at the, the, the other evening, we are always wiser after the event. Not, not during the crisis. Why is it like that? Eh? After the event, after the experience, we are always wiser. But not during the crisis, but, but often that crisis is what we need to get us to become wise in decision-making, wise in the choices that we make. Faith believes that God always knows best and does best in his time. Ooh, isn't that painful? In his time. Eh? In his, not my time, his time. 
when we try to impose our timetable on God, oh, we get into trouble. I've gotten into trouble so many times already because I want to, wanted to impose my timetable on the Lord and it didn't work out. I blew it. I messed up. I said what I should not have said. I, uh, you know, I did what I didn't, should not have done. I reacted the way I should not have reacted. I responded the way I should not have responded. God's timetable is always the best. We want to short circuit sometimes the maturing process. Isn't that true? Sometimes we try, I'm going to short circuit this. I don't want to go there. It's too long. It's too painful. It's too challenging. I want to say that you've got to go there. Don't short-circuit the process that God is taking you through. You need that process. At the end of the day, once you've been through the process, you'll look back and say, Oh my goodness, how I have learned from this. If I had not been through this, I would not be the person that I am today in the Lord. Yeah. Our God wants to prepare us for great works often or a new experience in Him. We hold on to certain things. It is our choice whether we will let the inevitable setback. There will be setbacks in life, my brother, my sister. It's inevitable there will be setbacks. There will be misfortune in life, no matter what. Let's face reality. There's no ways. No, the best person on earth, the most, the person in your est estimation that's, that's, that seems to be the most godly person, they also experience misfortune and setback. The person that seems to have it all going for him or her, they also have setbacks. So it's inevitable. In this life that is not perfect, there will be setbacks. But I want to say this. The setbacks, the misfortune could either harden you or it could soften you. It could either harden your heart, it could soften you and make you pliable and workable. What for the Lord to touch you and shape you and make you into what he wants you to be. We can choose to be hopeful or we can choose to be hopeless. We can choose to be diligent or we can choose to be discouraged this morning. It all depends on how we look at it and we determine in which direction we look by, by just saying, Lord, my eyes are on you, on you and you alone. Paul here, when he mentioned the word, my brothers, <laughs> he's, it's, it's a word of, of deep expression of affection and care for those, for those people as he spoke to them. But it's like Paul was saying, do not let your God down, not even for a moment. Yes, we can do better, but do not let your God down. How many times haven't we done that? I've let my God down. <laughs> and without me realizing it, 
in a subtle way, the enemy tried to rob me, rob me and, and steal my joy from me. Do not let your guard down, not even for a moment. And I want to make an illustration here this morning. Years ago, a German teenager flew an airplane from Germany to the heart of Moscow, Russia. He was able to fly completely unnoticed through the finest radar system that money could buy. He landed his plane on the historic Red Square in Moscow, all to the amazement of the world and to the embarrassment of the Russian military. Did you hear that? There's a lesson here. Do not let your guard down. They became complacent. They found that they had the best radar system in the world, the Russians. But this young German proved them wrong because they were not on their guard. They were complacent. I want to say this to you. Don't be complacent, child of God. An unexpected moment of temptation could confront you today. Could confront you today. At 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says it so beautifully. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the face. Be men of courage. Women as well. Be strong. Oh my goodness. Eh? What's happening? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the face. Be men of courage. Be strong. Coritan Boom says, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Be at rest, child of God. God is in control. He's in charge. It all depends on where you've got your eyes today. Love to please him more and more. You can love to please him more and more. But now we're coming to a very serious point. Now, I'm, uh, this was serious, but even this is, it builds up now. You can live in purity more and more. We've got to get there. Verses 3 to 8. There is no higher will than the will of God. It says there, in the, from verses 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. There is no higher will than the will of God. The word sanctification means to be set apart and separated. It's being holy. We are to be set apart to God and His will. Sanctification means, and this is what the King James Version says, this one, the NIV is too soft. It speaks about avoid, the word avoid, and avoid is not the right word there. Sanctification means abstaining from sexual immorality. The word there is porneia in Greek. It's, it's abstaining, and the key word there is abstaining, not avoiding. You can avoid something, but it's just avoiding it. But when you abstain from something, you don't go there anymore. Did you hear that? All kinds of immoral sexual, abstaining from immoralities, all kinds of immoral. And I want to speak about this, and we've got to deal with this as a pastor. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it's, we've got to deal with it. Immoral sexual acts. This includes, but is not limited to, acts our culture condones or promotes. 
Sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, sex with someone of the same gender, sex with self. Those are, our culture says, are illegal. Rape, prostitution, incest, human trafficking. You mention that there's so many. I'm only mentioning a few. And there's, there's one more. And what our culture sees, no issue with the word lust. Lust, fantasizing. God commands believers to abstain from, from sexual immorality. Period. End of the story. Did you hear that? Period. End of the story. Nothing in between. The word abstain means to hold off from, to distance oneself from, to have nothing to do with. You abstain from something when you separate yourself from it completely. To abstain means you don't dabble in it at all. Did you hear that? You don't dabble in it at all. You don't dip yourself into that whirlpool. Yo, that's the Greek meaning, into that whirlpool of shame and guilt and destruction. In Thessalonians are being inundated here with regular opportunities to revert to immorality or to refrain from it. And Paul is here speaking to them as young believers. Paul is saying the stakes are high when you are a child of God. I want to say this to you, the stakes are high, brothers. I urge you this morning, the, the stakes are high when you are a child of the Lord. Standards are high. It's not low. The stakes are high. We somehow think if we actually abstain from these things, especially as young people, I want to speak to the young people as well here this morning. Listen, learn. We think, actually think if we abstain from these things, we will be missing out. What are you missing out on? You tell me. If it's not God's will, what are you missing out on? Young people, I'm asking you. Sanctification means self-control. Self-control. I don't have to say a word about self-control, but that's what it's all about. And I now want to talk about this. You see, sex isn't intended to be a dirty word. It is intended to be dignified. In God's design, it's a gift for marriage, and thus it serves a variety of rich purposes. Yeah. It's a gift for marriage, and it serves a variety of rich purposes. And when I think of it, and I'm going to mention it, and I want young people to hear this, but also learn from it, to do it, in, to, to, to be involved in this thing only in marriage. It is the first thing that it's intended for is pleasure. Yes, it's pleasurable. I want to say this. Our God gives good gifts. It's pleasurable. Yes, I'm going to go further. It's not only intended for pleasure. It's intended for, for intimacy. We share something together that is for us and us alone, me and my partner. 
my wife, in other words. There is something, there is someone else on this planet that is for us, and we enjoy each other in a way that is indescribable. Oh, man. Know how to put it, eh? Intimacy. But it's meant for marriage. Let he hear this. Protection as well. Marriage protects me. There is an enemy that seeks to destroy your marriage, my brother and my sister, and will attempt to use sex. And also another rich purpose is procreation. I'm just mentioning a few things here. God has designed life creation to be one of the most pleasurable activities on the planet. And Paul tells this church, your marriages and sexuality should look different from the world around you. Verse 5. Sanctification means resisting the passion of lust. It speaks about lust there. We must resist the enslaving power of lust. We look at our world today. The media, it's, it's, it's there in order for you to lust after the things that, you, that your eyes see and focus on. Isn't that true? Your lament says, no skill at by a stone, no. When a person begins to lust, he can soon become enslaved to the lust. He can be held by the grip of lust to such a degree that it is almost impossible to break the bondage. It's lust. There is a lie, though, that our sexual actions, verse 6, speaks about there. What does it say there in verse 6? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's leave it for now. <laughs> but you, know, you can focus on verse 6. There is a lie that I, it speaks about not doing something, harming your brother. The, you, know, not, you know, how many times we bring harm to others. But there is a lie that our sexual actions are ours alone and do not have impact on others. But Paul tells the Thessalonians that sexual purity is both a private and a public matter with individual and family consequences. Do you hear that? It leads to broken relationships. It leads to violence. It leads to divorce. It leads to children raised without mom and dad or not raised at all when aborted. How many families have suffered? How many marriages have collapsed, crashed, failed? How many talented men and women have scrapped their most important relationships and careers for a brief moment of pleasure? For a brief moment of pleasure. You see, sin never stays contained. You can't contain sin. When there is sexual sin, it can and does destroy marriages. It, it mars legacies for generations. And it unaddressed. Did you hear that word? I want you to hear this word. If unaddressed, if not addressed, in other words, 
it will ruin the health of a family and a nation. That's how serious it is. David, when caught in adultery, cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, against you and you alone. Have I sinned? Psalm 51, right from verses 1 to 4. What's the legacy that you have left? I don't know. So far, it's been, it sounds so bad and so challenging to you, but let me give you hope here this morning. There's forgiveness for you. No matter how you've blown it and messed up, no matter how you failed as a young man or a young woman, no matter how you failed as a husband or a wife, there's forgiveness for you this morning. You can prevail more and more. Yes, the stakes are high. There are individual, family, and eternal consequences. But God's provision is greater. God's provision is greater. The work of Jesus in your place is sufficient to cleanse those stains, no matter how horrendous those stains are. There is victory available. God has not called you to something impossible, but has equipped you with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is mentioned there in verse 8. Eh? No sexual sin is too great to not be covered by the cross. Did you hear that? It's been covered by the cross. Seek refuge in the forgiving cross of Jesus. Repent of sin and live a new abundant life in him. It is possible. If you are a Christian, your identity is not in your sexuality. But it is hidden in Christ. Remember this. God's future grace has greater things in store for us. When we trust Jesus, forgiveness covers sins of the mind, sins of the body, sins of the eyes, sins of the ears, sins of the lips. And when he forgives us, according to Psalm 103 verse 12, he erases everything as far as the east is from the west. Nobody knows how far the east is from the west. There's infinity involved there. That's how he forgives us. In verse 8, it is mentioned God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you his Holy Spirit. The word gives is present tense, present continuous tense. In this case, it means that God gives and keeps on giving His Spirit to you. You have the Holy Spirit always within you. When God commands you to abstain, though, He also gives you the power to be obedient. You are not in this battle alone. There's hope. Your weakness is His strength. Do you need help? Of course, all of us do. You've got it. He's ready to help you. Some people here today feel totally defeated. Perhaps you have already blown it so badly that you feel there is no hope for you. 
Perhaps you have burning memories of recent moral failure. The truth is, we have all failed and we have all sinned. No one has a perfect record. Do you feel defeated this morning? Do you think there is no hope for you? Are you trapped in your past this morning? I want to say this to you. You can't do a thing to change the past. And it's even a waste of time to try. However, you can do something about the future. By God's grace, you can be clean and pure from this day forward. You don't have to live in guilt or fear or shame any longer. I say to you this morning, rise and walk. Child of God, rise and walk. You can't go back to change, you, to change the past. You can't stay where you are. But by God's grace, you can go forward in Christ. I believe God wants to raise up a generation of Christians who will walk in purity. Nothing will prove more convincing to the watching world than believers in Jesus who manage to be pure in this very dark and confused world. Say this to you. Deal with it. Don't leave it there. A new season is just ahead. But it is our nature often to resist change, eh? But a new season is just ahead for you as you surrender your life, your all, to him. God knows exactly where he wants to lead us. My closing remarks are just this. The refining process we go through during the sanctification period it never ends. But the dry, hard seasons, they do end. During the, during the refining process, a wholeness develops within us. There is a message to your story this morning. Your story has a message. You can do better. Amen.